Welcome to the next in the podcast series from the Canadian Association of Optometrists. My name is Denise Balsh, and today we will be speaking about the impact of eye disease on patients with my guest, Dr. Amanda Olson. Uh, Dr. Olson is an optometrist at Southeast Eye Care Limited in Estevan, which is uh, southeast of Regina, and also uh, at her office in Carnduff in Saskatchewan. And she is also the immediate past president of the Rotary Club of Estevan. After completing her biology degree at the University of Regina, Dr. Olson attended Pacific University College of Optometry near Portland, Oregon, and received the William Feinblum Low Vision Award at graduation, which is awarded to a student who demonstrates an aptitude in the clinical care of patients with low vision. She is also a director for the Saskatchewan Association of Optometrists, as well as the Optometry Examining Board of Canada. And if that wasn't enough, Southeast Eye Care is a teaching and learning site for students from the University of Waterloo School of Optometry and Vision Science. Uh, and interns spend 15 weeks working alongside Dr. Olson and her colleague, Dr. Sleva, learning clinic techniques and patient care. So thanks so much for being with us, uh, Dr. Olson. Very much appreciate having you here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, first of all, I usually like to start by asking our guests to tell our audience a little bit about themselves, a little bit more than the, the quick bio, and to tell us why you entered the field of optometry. Um, so ironically, in grade three, I actually dressed up as an optometrist for career day. I had my little white lab coat and made a name tag. Um, That's pretty being, unique. <laughs> being a kid in glasses, um, I mean, I was exposed to optometry at a young age. Um, I did go into undergrad kind of thinking more so kind of a medical career. Um, and actually, my optometrist at that time was in the had gone to the same undergrad program as me. Um, we had similar professors. And so she was the one who really said, well, you should think about optometry as a career. You get to help patients, but you also get to have that good work-life balance. And so that's really when I kind of shifted gears and, and moved towards optometry. So little did I know that I was predicting things back in grade three. <laughs> well, that's pretty, that's pretty unique. I can't imagine ever having seen anybody uh, dress up as an optometrist. So that's, uh, that's great. It's obviously was your calling. And um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your practice and the demographics of the patients who come to your clinics. For sure. So I'm an associate doctor at an independent practice uh, in Estevan, Saskatchewan. Um, so I was born and raised in Estevan. Uh, population is around 12,000. Um, and uh, we also have a satellite location, like you said, about an hour west from us. Um, that's located in Carnduff. And there's kind of two bigger towns there of around 1,200 people each. And so we, uh, we have quite a diverse population coming from uh, a lot of very kind of uh, more rural backgrounds. We have patients of all ages. We see young children, students, adults, uh, and seniors. And uh, yeah, we are kind of uh, also quite a ways from uh, the nearest ophthalmologist, about two hours. So uh, we deal a lot with kind of co-management uh, of cases with them as well. You're also close to the U.S. border, I see. Yeah, we're just about 10 minutes from the U.S. border there. So pretty close. Yeah. Um, when we talk about eye disease, we often hear about the clinical aspects of disease. Um, and typically when I do these podcasts, that's kind of the focus of what we're talking about. Um, so we're, we're usually talking about visual impairment, the progress of disease and early detection and treatment, all of which are important. But what we don't hear as much about is the impact of eye disease on patients. So once they're diagnosed, 
you know, how does that impact their quality of life? And of course, their mental health, which is a big item of discussion these days. So that's what we'd like to focus on today. Um, so perhaps first you can tell me what the most common eye diseases are for patients in your clinic, uh, particularly those that are kind of in their working years. Um, so we kind of deal with what we often refer to as the big three for eye diseases. So glaucoma, age-related macular degeneration, and diabetic retinopathy. Um, among the working population, we more often deal with uh, glaucoma, diabetic retinopathy, and a very common occurrence, especially out here in Saskatchewan, uh, dry eye disease as well. Yeah, I've heard that that can be quite painful and uncomfortable. Now, at a high level, um, how do these diseases individually impact patients, particularly the, their work and their personal um, relationships, and just in general, their kind of activities of daily living? So all of the diseases, so the big three that I mentioned in dry eye, uh, all of the diseases are, are chronic conditions, uh, meaning they need lifelong management. Uh, this can be a big adjustment for people to realize that there needs to be something done daily for the rest of their lives. I mean, it could just be a simple drop for glaucoma that they have to take for the remainder of their lives or something as simple as doing, you know, war, uh, using a warm eye mask for dryness or using drops daily for dryness. It, when, when people ask, well, when is this going to get better? Unfortunately, we're not able to say that it will. Uh, vision is just such a huge part of life. Um, it affects the way that we interact with people. I mean, being able to read facial expressions, body language. It's the way we interact with the world, our ability to drive, our ability to navigate crossing a street or going in a new store. Um, one thing that I know my patients uh, often come in uh, saying is uh, they really don't like it when they're not able to recognize a person across the street. So if they're not able to see that uh, that face across the street and you know someone's waving at them and and they don't notice that and they don't wave back, they they don't want to come off as rude or that they're ignoring the person, but they're just yeah. not able to kind of recognize that face. So it's just such a huge, I mean, vision is just it it's it's every day. Um, yeah. And then as far as the working population goes, I mean, almost every job involves some form of reading or writing. And uh, there's just such an increase near demand, especially as we're on the computers and the smartphones. I mean, doing the digital Zoom call, it's just, it's really changed kind of the, the working landscape. So when we talk about, um, say, diabetic retinopathy and glaucoma, since you said those are the two most common in the working age population of the three that, that we're addressing today. So in terms of diabetic retinopathy, how can you, do you have an example, say of a patient, or can you tell us specifically, like, you know, what is that journey like for a patient? How does that affect them individually? Um, because, uh, you know, they're with diabetes, presumably they're coming in fairly regularly for checkups. Yeah, so diabetic retinopathy um, can be a huge thing. Even patients with diabetes alone, before they develop the retinopathy, um, their sugar levels are a huge cause of shifts in their vision. So if their sugar is running high, if their sugar is running low, they can oftentimes have a day that's blurrier than others. Um, if their sugars are unstable, their vision could be blurred. Um, diabetics themselves are also more likely to suffer from dryness. So that's um, something that uh, can really affect day-to-day uh, -day living. Um, and then when we get to the point of retinopathy, when there's actual bleeding in the back of the eye, that can cause permanent vision loss. And we see that in um, diabetics that have been diagnosed for 20 years have about an 80% chance of developing retinopathy. So it's, it happens to uh, a lot of patients and it can be, it can be devastating. 
So I'd like to go, that's very interesting because I'd like to go back to something you said just at the beginning when you're talking about uh, patients with diabetes, um, even before they develop diabetic retinopathy, you, uh, you mentioned the swings in their sugars and that even without having diabetic retinopathy, their vision can be affected uh, in terms of blurriness. So I think that that's quite concerning because even if they don't realize they have a vision issue, that could impact their work, particularly if they're in sa safety sensitive positions. Yeah, so uh, even if a patient has a big change to their medication or um, their sugar levels can swing high and low, that can cause, you know, intermittent blur, blur that lasts throughout the day, blur that comes and goes. And that can be crucial in, you know, whether or not they can do their job, do the tasks that are necessary to uh, get their work done. Um, if they can't see, they might not be able to read the computer or yeah. you know, read the uh, controls that they need to see to operate something. Absolutely. And if they're in a safety sensitive position, as I mentioned, then that becomes even more critical. So where do you, how do you get from, uh, you know, the patient who their blood sugars are, are going through dramatic changes or their medication is changing? How do you go from that to diabetic retinopathy? Like what are some of the things that you're looking for? So um, the development of diabetic retinopathy um, typically happens in patients with more uncontrolled sugar levels. Um, so you're more likely to have big bleeds, big you know, vision loss from patients that are a little bit more unstable. Uh, we manage a lot of patients and most of them are fairly um, stable in their sugars. You know, They have their good days and their bad days, but the thing with retinopathy is that the longer you've had diabetes, the more likely you are to develop retinopathy. And uh, even the small bleeds can eventually turn into big bleeds that can affect vision loss and ultimately um, impact your daily living. And how do people who are newly diagnosed with diabetes respond when they realize that this could impact their vision? Um, it's really interesting, actually. Um, not a lot of people know that as optometrists, we're able to see blood vessels. We can look through the eye and see the blood vessels. It's the only way you can actually see a blood vessel without actually having to, you know, cut into somebody. So we're able to see those subtle changes. The blood vessels at the back of the eye are so small, so tiny that any bit of stress, whether it be sugar, high blood pressure, any bit of stress can cause little changes to those blood vessels. So for us to be able to see that, to warn a patient, hey, you know, have you had your sugars checked recently? Have you seen your doctor recently? Um, I think it's really, it's really fascinating to a lot of patients that we do more than just, you know, say if you need glasses or not, we're actually <laughs> yeah. looking at a lot more things than that. So do you find that they actually feel reassured that if they come for their regular checkups, that you're going to be able to help them manage their condition? Absolutely. I mean, I see uh, diabetics, uh, pretty much daily. And every time at the end of the exam, I always go, you know, there's no signs of diabetes in the back of your eye. There's always this huge relief, like, you know, right. they, oh. and I said, you know, you're doing, you know, everything you can, you've got optimal sugar control, you're checking in with your family doctor. Um, we talk about, you know, living a balanced lifestyle to ensure um, good sugar levels and even discussing with their family doctor. We always send a letter to every family doctor of a diabetic patient saying, hey, you know, they're seeing well, um, here's their pressures, do they have cataracts? And then do they have diabetic retinopathy or not? And right. if it's something that we need to monitor sooner than a year, we bring them back for that. So would you see a patient um, with a diagnosis of diabetes before they get diabetic retinopathy, just if they have diabetes, would you see them what, once a year or how, how frequently yeah. would you see them? 
Yeah, so we uh, recommend uh, our diabetic patients be seen once a year. Uh, okay. Luckily, in Saskatchewan, we do have provincial health coverage for that. I know that's not the same in every province. But mm -hmm. Yeah, once they're on a medication, we can uh, see them for a yearly eye exam, which is a huge burden off of the patient. I mean, to come in for a routine eye exam when you're not having any symptoms, things feel good, you know, you're seeing well, glasses are working. It, it, people don't understand that. Yeah. There's a lot more that we're looking at than just the prescription. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's great that you'd be able to, uh, you know, communicate with your patients and encourage them to come in regularly and they get that reassurance that, you know, they're going to be looked after. And, uh, and what about our friend glaucoma, <laughs> which yeah, is so that's the, that's the peripheral vision, right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, glaucoma is um, the leading cause of irreversible blindness worldwide, and definitely one of the leading causes of blindness uh, among Canadians. Once damage has occurred, it starts to affect the peripheral vision, which uh, causes lots of difficulty with mobility later on. Um, we use our peripheral vision to navigate our world, whether we're walking or driving. Um, glaucoma is primarily treated with drops that uh, tend to lower the eye pressure, but these drops often have side effects of irritation and dryness. And again, it's a chronic condition. You're on the drop long term. There mm -hmm. are some, you know, surgical options as well, but it's something that really affects the patient. And it's so slowly progressing that for a lot of patients, you know, we're trying to manage, we're trying to prevent, but they're not seeing any immediate, you know, detriment to their vision right now, but we're trying to kind of protect that nerve, protect any changes there. And uh, it's sometimes hard, especially in the younger patients to say, you know, no, you need this drop, even though, you know, glaucoma, there are no symptoms early on. Yeah. Um, it's only later on once the damage is done and we can't undo that damage. Yeah. So would you say that sometimes patients are in denial when you first diagnose them? Absolutely. Um, I think it's, uh, it's a big, it's a big lifestyle change. I mean, they come in, they are having no symptoms. Um, mm. Sometimes they have a family history, sometimes they don't, but we're saying, you know, your eye pressure is high. There's some damage noted on in the back of your eye. This could eventually lead to kind of peripheral vision loss. Here's a drop that you need to take twice a day that, you know, it burns, it makes your eyes red. You got to remember to do it every day. Nobody yeah. wants to do something every day forever. So um, we're in a good place in Saskatchewan where we're able to manage uh, primary open angle glaucoma, but we do a lot of co-management with ophthalmologists as well for more of the secondary conditions. So it is nice sometimes to have that second set of eyes, look at their eyes and say, you know, yes, this is glaucoma. Um, and hopefully, you know, it's, it's a big buy-in for patients. It's a life, it's a lifetime of drops or surgery or close monitoring. It's, uh, it's really something that they have to, you know, deal with and process. Yeah. And we've talked um, so far, mostly about, you know, getting people identified early and managing their condition. But um, what happens when you, you know, you, I'm sure you, I would suspect rather that you do have patients that um, haven't been diagnosed early and do have some vis vision loss, whether it's from diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, or in some cases, AMD. Uh, how does that affect patients? That one is probably one of the hardest when, you know, you have a patient come in and they're kind of unaware of a bigger problem. Like um, sometimes we'll see patients that have, you know, already have part of their visual field is missing from, you know, glaucoma damage and having to explain that to patients that, you know, hey, you have this problem that 
because you probably have had both eyes open, you might not have noticed in the one eye that there's been changes. Right. It's, uh, it's really, it's, uh, it's difficult sometimes to kind of, uh, explain that to people and, and then to get them to, you know, kind of jump on board with the management and the treatment that we're going to provide to slow things down. Uh, unfortunately, once the damage is done in most of these diseases, it can't be undone. But really what we're trying to do is slow down the progression of these diseases and prevent any further damage. So do you find that even though they've had some vision loss with one of these diseases, that people are still, you know, willing to jump on board and say, okay, let's deal with this before it gets even worse? Yeah, especially um, with glaucoma in particular, it's oftentimes quite an asymmetric disease. So we'll oftentimes have one eye that's quite a bit worse than the other. And so oftentimes it's a lot of talk about, hey, you know, this one eye is really declined, but this other eye is doing really good. So just trying to kind of keep what what vision that they have and uh, keep it stable as well. Macular degeneration is a little bit trickier just because uh, it's oftentimes a little bit more symmetric across the two eyes, but yeah, kind of keeping, keeping the vision at the level that it is, is kind of our best hope for some of these patients. As we know, macular degeneration doesn't have a treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned earlier, and I point I just wanted to come back to, and that is your um, collaboration with ophthalmologists. I'm presuming that uh, probably similar to a lot of areas in Canada, um, ophthalmologists aren't a dime a dozen, and it can be a long wait uh, to get in to see them, and it can be quite a distance. Yeah, absolutely. So um, most of my patients are driving two to three hours to see an ophthalmologist, and that's one way. And so between the gas, the meals, the Costco trip that they do, it's a, it's an expensive day for them. So um, the, we are really low in optometrists in Saskatchewan, and I know that's kind of a, a province-wide thing. Um, ophthalmology is really, I think, having a hard time um, kind of keeping practitioners and gaining new practitioners, a lot of them are retiring, I think is one of the biggest troubles and there's not enough kind of filling those gaps. So um, to be able to do anything that kind of alleviates the strain of ophthalmology is huge. And um, even working with ophthalmologists, we do quite a bit of follow-up. We do a lot of monitoring for glaucoma, monitoring for macular degeneration here in our clinic. And we send all of that information to the ophthalmologist and, you know, if there needs to be any change to treatment or management, um, we're able to make that decision together. So uh, we have a really good working relationship with ophthalmology and that allows them to kind of focus more on the things that we can't do, the surgeries and those advanced cases. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in terms of you know what you'd like to leave our listeners with, and, and most of the people listening will work for insurers or they may be insurance brokers, or some might be employers or other plan sponsors. Um, you know, we've been trying to get the message out as an, a, as an association with the Canadian Association of Optometrists about the value that there is in reimbursement of uh, the modern diagnostic tests for uh, serious eye diseases like diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, and age-related macular degeneration. So we've been trying to get that message out um, and the need to allow, to provide an allowance during a comprehensive exam and also in the case of follow-up exams. Um, when provincial coverage doesn't exist. So, um, but it's not only about the tests. So it's about ensuring that people's vision health is maintained. And we also think about their own, their mental health as well, because 
poor vision is or low vision is going to impact their mental health. So what would what would you like to leave uh, with people who are listening today? Um, just um, optometrists are able to play such a key role in early detection, management, and prevention of different ocular diseases. Um, one of the biggest things that it comes down to, especially once a patient has an ocular disease, is the frequency of follow-up. Um, we're often following these patients every three months, every six months, and we're using those diagnostic tools, um, such as an OCT. It's such a valuable piece of equipment, especially in a disease like glaucoma. We're talking about, you know, microns of tissue being lost and that being a huge uh, change to a visual field. So, you know, having the ability to do those tests and, you know, the not having the patient be burdened by the cost of the frequency of the examinations. I mean, the patients, when they come in and for their exam and, you know, you say, oh, you know, this is your three month checkup. Things are looking really good. They're so happy to hear that. It's a relief to them that, you know, they're doing what they should be and they're, you know, maintaining the vision that they have. And so just the ability to be able to do more frequent examinations on these patients that have these diagnoses. And then of course, also being able to um, see patients for their routine eye exams uh, as needed um, so that we can prevent any of these diseases. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it's, uh, I think worth reiterating that, um, as far as my understanding goes, if someone during comprehensive exam, if you do an say an OCT or a visual field, that there is, you think this needs to be monitored and checked out, they'll be asked to come back for a recall exam within that 24 month period. That's, that's right, is it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll often have patients uh, come back at the six month mark or the one year mark. You know, if something's a little suspicious on an OCT, I'm, you know, a little worried about glaucoma. Usually within um, that first year, I'm trying to get kind of three scans so that I can do statistical analysis that allows me to say, is there a change or is there not a change? And that's really what helps with the diagnosis. Right. Absolutely. No, that makes perfect sense. Well, I'd like to thank you very much, uh, Amanda, Dr. Olson, for being with us today. Uh, it's a great opportunity to learn more about the impact on patients of these diseases and the important role that optometrists can play, including, I think you made some great points about the ophthalmologist too, is that working in tandem, it can really make sure that patients are getting the care they need and not taking excessive amounts of time off work to drive three hours to get to the ophthalmologist. And, you know, like many other professions uh, um, where we have, you know, sort of advanced care, um, like rheumatologists, oncologists, ophthalmologists, um, they're, they're not easy to find and they're very busy folks. So it's, uh, it's great that we have some additional support through the optometry community. So thank you very much. No problem. Yeah. We just uh, love to reiterate that we're kind of the, the primary care providers for your eyes. That's what an optometrist truly is. That's great. Yeah. Great message to leave people with. Thanks again. Thank you.